Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected with us is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community, and we would love the opportunity to connect with you in person. One way to do that is to join us in Dallas this September 24th through the 25th at the National Faith Driven Entrepreneur Conference at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. We'll be recording live episodes and joined by friends like Andy Crouch, Phil Vischer, and the leaders of this movement. Go to our website to register. While you're there, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you might have about being a faith-driven entrepreneur. What I'd say we're most proud of is that, you know, breakthrough technology like this usually reaches the families that need it most last, right? Think of cell phones. We could give a lot of different examples, internet, et cetera. And with this particular example, this breakthrough technology, which I absolutely believe a lot of future construction will be through robotic construction, is happening with the families that need it most first. And so these first families that will be living in the 3D printed homes, I mean, they'll be the first kids in the world to live in 3D printed houses. And we're very proud that it's in an environment that is in desperate need and can have a black and white life-changing difference with the families that will live there. Hey, everybody. It's the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. Hang on. Hang on just a second. My, my printer's running in the background. Well, that's not really a big deal because that's just a normal HP OfficeJet 4650. But what we're going to listen to today is an episode that's just a little different than that. We're going to talk about uh, 3D printing a house. Yes, 3D printing a house, printing homes. That seems ludicrous, crazy, right? Audacious. Well, that's our episode today. Brett Hagler is the CEO and co-founder of New Story. It's a Y Combinator company. He's an alum from there. He's a Praxis fellow. He's an author. He's a cancer survivor, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur. It just goes on and on. But most importantly, under his leadership, New Story, his company was recognized as one of Fast Company's 2017 and 2019 most innovative companies in the world. Brett and his team are currently working with their partner, Icon, to 3D print the world's first community in Mexico. His story, it's a fascinating one. And we're so glad we got to sit down and hear it. We think you're going to love it too. Let's listen in. Brett, we're so glad you're on the show today. Been looking forward to this for a long time. I have so many questions for you. I don't even know where to start, but let's go ahead and get our listeners in on your story right off the bat. Who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do? And how'd you get to, to where you are today? Thank you, Henry. It's great to be on with you guys. So Today, I'm going to kind of go backwards. Today, I am lucky to be a co-founder and CEO of an organization called New Story, where our mission is to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. Uh, we've been at it for about five years, and we'll talk more about it throughout the episode. But my quick backstory is I grew up in Florida, and I grew up in a Christian middle school, high school, had parents that instilled great values in me. I was very lucky. But from a faith standpoint, I thought that faith in Christianity was boring, was not adventurous, was not cool, was not fun. And I just thought that I would figure it out when I'm like 40 or 50, or I actually used to think that I could kind of hack the whole thing and figure it out like right before I die. 
because I thought that, you know, living a surrendered life for Jesus couldn't possibly be better than living my way. And so throughout high school and college and a little bit after college, I kind of went out and, and pursued what I refer to as the three G's for simplicity. And that's not gratitude, generosity, and God. It was girls, gold, and glory. And that was really the goal. And I was always a very ambitious guy, but it was all selfish ambition before. And so it turns out that when those are your top priorities, it becomes pretty unfulfilling. And so uh, I graduated from Florida State University in 2012 and got into startup world, started my own for-profit startup right out of college. And I just found myself in this place where I wasn't like rock bottom, I wasn't depressed. I was just longing for a bigger purpose and a more meaningful life. And what God did was he introduced me to a CEO in Atlanta. I was actually raising money for my first startup and I wanted to get to this gentleman, you know, for as a mentor to potentially be a funder and from kind of the outside looking in at his life, he was to me like a role model. He was somebody that I wanted to be like one day. And so I finally tracked him down and, and went to lunch with him. And at lunch, he just very casually started talking to me about Jesus. But he did it in a really cool way because I was asking him questions about leadership. And he starts talking to me about servant leadership. And I'm like, where do you get that from? And that's kind of like a softball for him to start talking about Jesus as a leader. And that just was kind of the catalytic moment that God used to reframe what I thought about my faith and how I could actually live a life with my faith at the center. And so from there, he told me to check out a church in Atlanta called Buckhead Church in North Point. Pastor Andy Stanley turns out to be quite a good communicator, to say the least. And so I started going all by myself. And after a couple months, I was all in. And I, uh, I totally surrendered my life to Christ. I got baptized there and made a total, total, total 180. I went cold turkey on pretty much all those old vices and thought that um, you know God had given me a, a little bit of leadership ability. And then in the past, I was using that for all the wrong reasons. And then I was gonna now try to redirect that ability and try to use it for something with more purpose. And so from there, I took a trip to Haiti and I went down to Haiti a couple years after the 2010 earthquake. And when I went down there, I had zero passion or knowledge or understanding of people living without safe shelter and life's most basic. So two parts. I did have a for-profit startup at the time, and we were starting to, with this kind of life change and heart change, we wanted to be more generous. And so we were starting to give back a little bit of the money we're making, it was nothing. But so we wanted to see the organization in person. And then two, I was like new into my faith and I was reading, of course, a lot of the New Testament. And it turns out that Jesus has a pretty strong bent and heart for the poor. And so I wanted to see that firsthand. And so, yeah, man, went down and that was what God used to place really the vision for New Story on my heart and how he um, caught my attention and really broke my heart with the families and the kids we met that were living without life's most basic human needs and that safety, shelter, sanitation. And so that was in about 2014 and then came back and 
we'll get into a new story, but um, had the idea. Yeah, so go take us there. So you're on the ground in Haiti, which is, for our listeners who have ever been, it's just, it's an amazing, amazing place. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. Most people, and if I'm honest, that was really my feeling. I've been in places like Southeast Asia and Africa and other places where you kind of get a sense about where to start. So I think it's particularly impressive that you're down there and said, okay, so it is overwhelming. Presumably it was overwhelming, but here's a way to kind of wade into it. And so it was out of that trip that New Story was founded. And I think you just alluded to it a little bit. It's just they didn't have the most basic need for shelter. And so then, so what do you do on that? Do you say, well, I'm going to build houses or your take on it is completely unique. Walk us through how that went from the time when your heart's broken, when you see these people not having the type of shelter that they deserve and need, and through the formation of New Story. And then we'll ask Rusty, who, who gets more geeked out on the technology, to be able to ask you more about how you do it, because the way you do it is completely unique. But talk to us through the early days of New Story. So, yeah, kind of the, the entrepreneurial genesis was that I went down there and I had like no experience in the nonprofit world. I like didn't know the stuff. And so I never thought I would actually start a nonprofit, especially in my 20s. I already was kind of a young entrepreneur in the startup world. And like, that's what I wanted to do. So I started looking for other nonprofits that I could get really excited about and that I thought were doing things differently. And the more I looked, the more I was like, wait a second. It just seems like people, not in a bad way, but people are attacking this problem in a very traditional manner. And I was longing personally for something that would have a little more risk-taking, a little more innovation, an R&D budget, right? Uh, people that, you know, if they wanted to, they could work at Airbnb or Facebook or some of the top companies or startups in the country, but they've chosen to work at a nonprofit. And I couldn't find that. And so that was kind of the, the genesis of like, wait a second, if I was only passionate about the mission of people not having safe shelter, I could have joined another organization, right? But I thought that we needed a new way to attack the problem and kind of try from the very beginning, from scratch, a model that would be built with different operating principles. And that's why it's actually called New Story, is because we are very passionate about not just creating a new story in the families that we get to partner with and the communities that we get to design and build, but also a new story in how we think about building a next generation kind of social impact org. And so that was kind of the idea. And we have a mantra at New Story to, uh, to dream big, but to start small. And it was me and my two co-founders, and we were 24 and 25, unqualified, no experience, no real money to get this off the ground, not a great network to get this off the ground, but we had a vision to do things differently and to solve a lot of the problems, not just on the ground, but a lot of the problems in how traditional charities were operating. And so we kind of doubled down on that, went all in and reverse engineered an experience to prioritize technology and software engineering and innovation and research and development and transparency, you know, higher standard of excellence, et cetera. And that enabled us to get into Y Combinator, which is a, a program out in Silicon Valley. And we were one of the first nonprofits to go through Y Combinator in the summer of 2015. 
So Brett, it's fascinating what you're doing, just sort of thinking about reinventing sort of the nonprofit or go-to-market model. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I mean, you're breaking all kinds of barriers here with 3D printing a house. Mm-hmm. I mean, just yeah. take us through. How do you 3D print a house? Yeah, so this is a more recent endeavor. And I'll take 30 seconds to tell you kind of how we got here. So in our first five years, before we started 3D printing houses, we built homes kind of with more traditional methods. And our first five years, we've now raised close to $40 million and that built 3,000 houses that develops 22 different communities. And so that's what we had done. And we were happy with that. But we were really trying to challenge the traditional methods of how homes are built for the poor. And so we went on a research and development kind of quest to figure out what is a breakthrough technology out in the world that could lower cost, increase speed, and doing those two things without sacrificing quality. And if you get those three things together, it's either too good to be true or it's a breakthrough, right? And so we came across the concept of 3D printing houses And we thought, wow, this is a great use case for our homes because they're smaller, simpler homes, you know, around 500 square feet, single story, and we use a lot of cement. And so we came across our partner, Icon. I met their founders through Praxis. And they were in kind of the idea stage. And we had a dream to put R&D money into the beginning of getting that first machine created and designed. And we took a risk. And it turned out that the machine printed the first house in Austin, Texas with Icon. And then from there, it was all about, okay, but let's- I got to stop you though. Cause I, I mean, I got to think that our listeners are sitting here sure. going, wow, that must be a really big printer. You just sure. like the house comes out, I, I, the yeah. whole house comes out. I mean, give us those mechanics sure. as best you can in our, in our, in our mind's eye. Totally. Yeah, so it's a gantry style machine and it's a proprietary cement mix that is coming out of the machine, out of the nozzle. And so how I like to explain it to my mom is kind of visually imagine almost like soft serve ice cream that's coming out of a nozzle and that's a cement mix. And that is layering a house. So we start with layer one at the bottom and the layer ranges, um, it's about one to two inches thick. And then that will layer the interior and exterior walls, kind of the CAD file of the house on top of a foundation slab. And then we just layer the house all the way to the top. And then we will put on, you know, a roof, a door and the windows, but all of the interior and exterior walls, the majority of the home is 3D printed. So this printer comes over the structure somehow. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's on site and then the machine will print the house. And so we went from the prototype home in Austin, which became a, honestly, it turned out better than pretty much all of us thought. And we got a lot of attention from it. And we said, all right, let's take this to the next level, which is designing a next machine that could actually drive to Mexico, get off of an 18-wheeler, In rural Mexico, where you can't rely on water, where you can't rely on power, where there's storms, I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere, the environment. But that's where our families, you know, live. That's where a lot of families in extreme poverty happen to live. So we had to design the machine with Icon to do that. And we did it. I'm, you know, very proud to share that at the end of 2019, we 3D printed our first few homes in the world's first 3D printed community in Southern Mexico. And it worked. 
And we are now moving at a pace that's actually kind of better and faster than we even anticipated. So, um, and if you're not tracking along yet on this, because it's still hard to just understand the concept, there's some great videos up on the news story site that will show you. We're definitely worth two or three minutes to be able to visualize it. And, and, and once you see it, you kind of say, oh, my goodness, this changes everything. Um, and we'll have kind of really want to geek out on it. I mean, yeah. everybody should well, go look at that. It's very cool. Yeah. What I'd say we're most proud of is that, you know, breakthrough technology like this usually reaches the families that need it most last, right? Think of cell phones. We could give a lot of different examples, internet, et cetera. And with this particular example, this breakthrough technology, which I absolutely believe a lot of future construction will be through robotic construction, is happening with the families that need it most first. And so these first families that will be living in the 3D printed homes, I mean, they'll be the first kids in the world to live in 3D printed houses. And we're very proud that it's in an environment that is in desperate need and can have a black and white life-changing difference with the families that will live there. And you're getting recognition for this too. I mean, like, if I've got this right, Forbes wrote about what you're doing. I understand that news stories can be featured in the upcoming Faith Driven Entrepreneur newsletter. Yeah, great. <laughs> That's right. That's big. Yep. Absolutely. I have just, I have one other question for you. Um, so as an entrepreneur, I mean, with something that that's that big, that complex and that costly, uh -huh. How do you A-B test? How do you trial yeah. and error or something like that? Ooh, that's a great question. So how we thought about doing it, you know, I think there's risk-taking and there's calculated risk-taking. And what we did was definitely a risk, but it was a calculated risk. And so there's this concept by Jim Collins, very simple. He refers to firing bullets before cannonballs, right? And essentially, like, if you're trying to, you know, sink a ship, don't fire a cannonball first at the ship and use all your ammo to try to hit it and take it down, right? Fire some bullets, see what hits to get the, the alignment right and the, and the target on point. And then once some of those bullets hit, then invest more into loading up the ammo and, and going in. And so that's really what we did. We put in a good amount of money to start, but it wasn't anything that was outrageous or irresponsible against our budget. And we said, hey, if this works, we will then double down on it and invest more going forward. And, and that's what happened. And, um, you know, I think a lot of folks when we first pitched this concept and some people externally were hearing about news story wanting to put in R&D money to help invent a machine with Icon in the beginning. A lot of people told me, like, dude, why would you spend that money when you could just like fund another 20, 30 houses? Why would you do that when, you know, you could help 30 families? And I think that idea is somewhat plaguing a lot of nonprofits because a lot of folks are thinking way too much about the kind of short term and the, the immediate direct impact. Whereas what we want to do is try to get out in front, find breakthrough technologies, invest in those, and then know that if it works, it's going to go way farther than helping those 20, 30 families right? It's ideally going to be a hundred times that. And so we have a mantra at News Story that it's crazy until it's not. And, you know, I think this project is evidence of that because in the early days when it was just an idea in the backyard trying to 3D print this first house, not everybody, not all the media was calling, not all the donors were calling, et cetera. But after we did it, it was no longer crazy and it became, um, you know, a pretty exciting project. 
it's amazing. It's amazing to hear where you guys have come. This is William here. Brett, I feel like you guys have also had a pretty innovative take on something that we've talked about here on the podcast before. We had Peter Greer talk about rooting for rivals and how the idea that, you know, bringing everyone up together. And I think a lot of the things you just talked about and hit on are talking about, you know, making an impact at scale, right? And to do that, it's really hard to do that alone. You already talked about one partnership with Icon. Could you talk a little more about your theory of change regarding the housing sector? And I know you're building technology for other nonprofits to use. I feel like that's also really innovative and something that uh, I want to explore a little bit. Yeah, I'm super passionate about this. We decided about two years ago to totally change New Story's North Star. And so in the early days, which I think is very similar to most organizations, you know, our kind of goal was like, let's raise as much money as we can, which we were doing really well at. Um, and let's build homes and then let's raise more money and build great communities and raise more money and build homes, et cetera. And, you know, get strong year over year growth with that. Well, the problem is that when you're trying to work on a challenge that's as big as ours, which is about a billion people that don't have safe shelter, that method is never going to really make a dent, right? You're just so governed by what you can go raise and then deploy yourself to build. And there's no real leverage. It's very linear. And so we thought, wait a second, um, what if we could try to be the best at not just building our own homes and our own communities, but trying to pioneer solutions and really understand the problems that come with designing homes and designing communities. And then we could create new innovations and solutions. We could then prove those in the communities that we build ourselves. And then the big idea and our North Star is not to keep that for a new story and not even to just like say, hey, let's open sources, anybody can take it, but to have a real strategy and a go-to-market to get adoption from other nonprofits and governments that can use the innovations that we've created to make them more effective and them more efficient. I mean, if you think about it, like the total addressable market of you know governments that have budget for social and affordable housing is massive compared to if I was just trying to go out raise more money and build more homes ourselves year over year, we think that's just too small of an idea. And so we've really designed, like New Story now is like, yes, we still will design and build some of our own homes and communities, but that's really just a testing ground to prove new innovations, to have a place where we can A-B test new concepts, we can roll out new software products to do construction management, data, et cetera, and then productize those after and share them with our partners and the governments that want to use what we've created. So it's kind of like the R&D and the innovation arm to the global social housing sector. Yeah, it's really cool. If you, uh, I don't know if you have any videos on there, but just from my own perspective, from being around the organization, it's really cool to talk to some of these partners and say, you know, used to we'd build a village and we'd build homes for people. There's, as you might imagine, housing nonprofits all over the world, and they never really knew what was going on in those communities or who those people were or they had more children or if they were too, you know, the family was too big for the home, all these type of things. And you hear them talk about the technology that Brett's team has built and given to them. And now they have mobile access to track who these people are, ask them questions. Are there other things you need? Are there ways we can build your house better? Are there other nonprofits we could get involved in the community? And just, um, it's just inspiring. You know, it's just so cool to see you know, you guys lifting up all boats, like you said, I mean, you, you could raise money till the day you die and, you know, you're not going to reach a billion people. That's right. 
but combined, you could. I have a question on that. Can you 3D print a church? Yeah, we're actually in the early stages of, of talking about that um, with our community in Mexico. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, the st- is the steeple the main problem? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stained glass windows, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you, yeah. you don't have to do that anymore. It's 2020. Yeah. We'd probably call it a more modern design with the church, but absolutely. Um, Henry and, wants and one think, in his backyard. That's what he wants. He wants a 3D <laughs> yeah, printed right. church in his backyard. Yes. Yeah. But I want to say one more thing on that kind of business model that we have, if you will. Um, the reason why we've been able to do it is because we've had funders and partners that like fully believe in it, right? So we have a small group of donors that's about 55 leaders now that we call the builders. And they actually don't fund houses. They fund salaries for software engineers, right? They fund an R&D budget, a line item budget that I'm trying to grow year over year. And when we think about that, it gives New Story now the license to go out and you know, create a new software product that, you know, we all know the cost of software engineers, right? It's not cheap, but we can develop the product and then say, hey, if we make this and then we get adoption from the Mexican government, from other governments in Latin America, from the largest housing nonprofits and even other larger you know, the Christian nonprofits in the world, imagine that impact as opposed to if we use that amount of capital just to directly build houses, And so it's kind of this newer way of thinking about funding that has really been our differentiator and has given us that freedom to go out and innovate and try new concepts. And so that's just kind of a, you know, a pitch for other people listening with the organizations that you love and you support is thinking about that. Because from what I've gathered, a lot of organizations don't have that budget and don't have funders that that are up for um, funding you know, software engineers or an R&D budget, right? But I'd also imagine that you're very, very unique in that your cultural DNA, I want William to talk about culture here in a second, but your cultural DNA is about innovation. You started in a geography in a place where that's kind of in the water. It's the way that people think. And so I think that I take your admonition well, which is that if we can think more creatively about clean water or microfinance or a number of different places to be able to invest in the larger ecosystem and in technology and R&D, that we absolutely will move the needle. And what I think you're responding to and you're bucking the trend is the pressure of fundraising being you know, you give $13,000 or $15,000 and that helps provide a house. Instead, think more about how do we build a larger infrastructure to change the way that housing is done across millions of houses. Um, but there are probably also some organizations that are actually just good at getting together with manual labor and working with local communities and probably shouldn't be in the business of hiring software engineers. A hundred percent agree. It's definitely not for everybody, but I am passionate about trying to and there are other orgs doing this, but like trying to push forward that model with with select organizations that do feel they might have the ecosystem to do that or they want to recruit that kind of talent. Right. And honestly, it's not to say like one organization with that model is is better or worse than another. It's just a different take. And I think we need people that are going to focus on innovation and on pioneering new solutions. And we need people that can execute on the ground with excellence, right? And, and the, together, that's how I think we're going to get a lot more scale and the impact. And neither one is better than the other. Yeah. And speaking of that, because there may be some listeners who do feel called this direction, right? Who are listening to your story and saying, wow, I'm, that's me, 
right? How have you and your co-founders, Matthew and Allie, and have you guys thought about the culture that you're building and you as the CEO, I assume you're a big part of setting that culture. How do you think through that? What are some of the ups and downs of, of trying to build that when, once again, it is new, it's different. I know you attract different types of people. You have two offices as well. You have an office in Atlanta, you have an office in San Francisco. There's a lot going on there and yet you've been able to hold tight to this. Um, walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, New Story is very much an inside out organization and focus culture. And so I think some people might see us and, you know, it may look a little shiny on the outside or, you know, the marketing like might look shiny or slick or, you know, there's some press about innovation, all that stuff. Like, sure, that can be good. Right. But the real core and the heartbeat of a new story starts on the inside. And that's the obsession that we've put on our team culture and really how that starts for me and it's getting a little bit more into how my faith has really inspired me is that, you know, we're not a Christian organization, but we have built new story, the new story culture. It's not novel, but it's exactly what Jesus instructed us to do. And that's to love and care for one another as Jesus loved others and cared for others. Right. And that has really been like the foundation for everything else we do. And that starts with caring personally more about our team members than the the high standards that we put on them professionally. And when you get a authentic, genuine team members bought into the number one way they can show up and be a leader is to love and care for one another and then to love and care for our partners. When it starts there, that builds trust, that builds belonging, and then that enables us to go out and try things that probably won't work right? Or to have debate and to be able to fail because we know there's trust and there's belonging and there's a genuine love and care for one another. And so that's really where it starts. And again, that's not novel, but we've just really obsessed over that. And I think that is a starting point to where we then, you know, attach our other values on top of that. And, you know, I can get into some of those, but and then you measure that too. So it's an intentionality about building culture, but then you are very intentional about measuring it too. Yeah. So for the last four years, and we've been around for five years, we do quarterly culture surveys. So we get a pulse every quarter on how the team is feeling, what we're doing well, what we should improve. And then the next quarter, we choose what we need to improve and we do OKRs, objective and key results, kind of like a goal. We set a company quarterly OKR that will focus on bringing that score up from where it was to where it needs to be. And we've done that for the last four years and that kind of adds up, right? Because we've just been so intentional about figuring out what works, but what needs to get better and then having a solution every quarter to improve on that. So yeah, I've just thought like, people ask like, what is a reason for some of News Story's success or early growth? And at the end of the day, it all comes down to the team and the culture that you can establish. And again, this isn't novel. It's just what we have obsessed over. It's what we've thought from the beginning will be the number one reason for kind of the growth or the audacious goals that we have. And if we can get that right, then we can go do, you know, other exciting, innovative things. Can you give us a couple of examples of what over the four years, the big themes culturally that you've run up against because you're scaling, you're growing, and, and there are a lot of entrepreneurs who want to do what you've done, but also maybe are a little fearful mm-hmm. of doing it, you know, setting an OKR around the culture and doing that every quarter. Just give us a couple of the big ones um, that, that you've seen. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it starts first and foremost with the founders of the executive team, like really buying into that culture is your number one asset and your team is your number one asset. And I think you have to start there. If not, I don't think it's going to be genuine. And so I would say start there. And I think pretty much every entrepreneur would tell you that that is usually the number one reason for a company's long-term success. And then I mean, this is all stuff that most people know, but, you know, choose what are the couple core values that you are going to double down on and you are going to obsess over and it's going to permeate everything you do. And, you know, we did that and we have very uh, simple practices throughout the week and throughout the month of how we're reiterating those values. Every Friday, we've done this for the last four years. We have a 30 minute call where there's now 30 team members where every team member, they just take usually 30 seconds or a minute and they shout out a value of what another team member displayed that week. Right. So that gives us a weekly pulse on what's going on as a team, but also a weekly vehicle to share and demonstrate the values that we want other team members to to continue to demonstrate. So just coming up with those habits and those rhythms and then just doing them. I would would say start there. Um, Yeah. On that, kind of moving forward a little bit, how how do you feel like God's moving in the business right now? What, What do you see, you know? What do you feel like the Holy Spirit's stirring in your heart to double down on, to try different, to love people well? Just where has God taken new story in this new season as you're coming out in a new world? You're 3D printing houses now. I mean, it's just a, been a transformative 12 to 18 months, it sounds like, for the organization, which for a young organization is a big deal. Yeah, for sure. I'll talk about it from a new story standpoint and then also kind of personally, how I've been feeling, because obviously that relates to the organization. So, you know, again, we've been fortunate to have a lot of things go our way, you know, call it luck, call it hard work, whatever. We've had a really good start with a lot of momentum. And what I feel convicted by is that God and the Holy Spirit, that we are called to, you know, go out on more limbs, right? And to take some calculated risk and to be the ones that are really trying to challenge the status quo. And I just feel that we are we are called to that because we see a gap in the market that it just feels like others are not prioritizing that in our market. And so it's kind of like, if not us, who? And it's not to say that other people in the housing space aren't innovating and aren't doing things, but I feel a conviction that God has called us to really be, to double down on that effort. Um, and so that's what we're doubling down on going forward and to be generative with that and to share what we've created and to not try to have new stories year over year numbers look a certain way, but to try to help as many other nonprofits and governments. I feel a very strong conviction on that. The next thing I'll say is that I've learned personally as a leader that it's way less about what I'm going to achieve over the next few years and way more about who am I going to become, right? And I have a strong conviction that God cares way more about who am I going to become, my character, than any metrics that we have, right? Any metrics of how many people we help, any metrics of you know, the millions of dollars that we're raising per year, the metrics of media, all that stuff. Like, it's good. It's not a bad thing. But God cares way more about who I'm becoming than what I'm achieving. And that's been a a tough road for me to learn um, because I am wired to try to go after big numbers and go after big metrics. And I think, you know, for whatever reason, that was 
one of the reasons why in the early days we got you know, off the ground pretty quickly, right? And God, you know, kind of caught me about a year ago and I was very lucky to realize that if I'm not uh, abiding and I'm not making that my essential pursuit and if I'm caring more about outcomes than obedience, then it's not a good path that I'm on. Not for me as a leader and not for New Story as an organization. And so, you know, today... I am, as we head into 2020 and really head into our next five years, as a leader, I'm really trying to focus on abiding over striving, on obedience over outcomes, and to really seek first the kingdom um, and less of seeking first our metrics or our growth or our brand awareness. And that's been a learning curve for me. I'm still not anywhere close to where I need or want to be, but that is really how God's spoken to me in the last year as we head into our next five years. Um, And so I feel pretty convicted by that. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. And that's a a great answer to our usual close, but I'll also ask, you kind of mentioned Matthew 6, 33 in there, but are there any other scriptures or places in God's word where he's taken you to help you learn some of these things? Yeah, a more recent one is from Psalm 127. And, you know, that's essentially talking about God's grace. Don't labor in vain to build a house, right? Which, you know, you could say, okay, that's cool. It goes a new story. Essentially, it's senseless to work so hard from early morning to late night, toiling to make a living for fear of not having enough. And I know that I've in the past definitely toiled to not just make a quote unquote living for myself, but to make, to achieve, right? And God is is teaching me that this is his timeline. This is his work. And while I do definitely need to work hard and have a humble pursuit of excellence, ultimately it's his timeline and it's, it's what he wants to do. And so I'm trying to focus more on that and I'm trying to focus and just understand that when you're in the kind of the nonprofit world or any kind of world that has impact. If you're out having an external impact on people's life, but you don't have intimacy with Jesus, then that's kind of nothing, right? You need to have inside out intimacy with Jesus first, and then you're going to go out and, you know, if he wants you to, and if it's in his will, have a certain level of impact. And whether that's helping uh, a thousand people or 10 million people, right? That's up to him to decide. Amen. Very, very well said. That's a great way to end. Brett, I'm very grateful for the journey that you've been on, that you've taken us on over this past period of time. Your commitment to innovation, your commitment to culture is something I'm absolutely taking away. But then uh, most recently, of course, what you just shared right there, and that is that a guy who took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 actually doesn't need our toil. But we have an opportunity to be a participant in the work that he's doing in this world when we're obedient and when we focus on him first. And he wants what we are to become and who we're becoming in our character rather than our outcomes. And interestingly, that's the only way to have really good sustainable outcomes is to focus on that first. There's a tremendous amount of wisdom there, and I'm really grateful for it. Thank you for spending time with us, sharing your story, the new story. We encourage everybody to check out newstorycharity.org to check out these videos we're talking about. You got to see it to believe it. And then maybe this is something that you are called to be involved in, or maybe this is something that sparks just kind of an entrepreneurial flair in you and thinking about innovative ways to solve other problems that you think that God has put on your heart. 
Regardless, Brett, we're grateful for you. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve you, the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community, and we want to stay connected. The best way for you to do that is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it's been very rewarding to see people come to the site and listen to the podcast now from more than over 100 countries. But it's even more important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and one that you're going to share with others. Hey, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music is by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco.